Hi, my name is Melissa K. Jones, Leadership and Operations Coach for Service-Based Small Businesses. Lead with Excellence podcast features conversations with leaders in small business and short coaching segments. I'll discuss how to lead yourself, your clients, and your team. My goal is to empower and encourage you in your leadership journey. Let's get started. I sat down with Natasha Joy Gordon of NJG Consultancy to discuss being intentional when entering a partnership, the responsibilities that come with leadership, and three practices to break the cycle of recurring problems. If you constantly find yourself in the same situation and want to break out of the cycle, this episode is for you. Meet Natasha Joy Gordon, a trailblazing first-generation Jamaican-American woman whose journey in education and leadership spans over two decades and across the country. Natasha's journey as a lifelong learner instilled in her the resilience and perseverance that would later be the foundation for her unwavering commitment to student academic excellence and leadership empowerment. With a deep sense of faith and purpose, her impact extends beyond the school building as a vocal proponent of self-care and self-keeping. Enjoy. I think that's the magical part, right? When your client somehow sees you as a friend, um, a thought partner, but that's the magic in the work that we do. I agree because ideally like your best work is when you partner with somebody and then they know that they, you care about them because when you care about them, that allows them to grow, but it also allows your conversations to be more authentic because you can be candid with each other. And that's really what contributes to the growth. If you're holding anything back, like you're holding back growth. Right. Which makes our work that much more intricate because um, as much as everyone's leaders, they're all different leaders and they're right. all solving different issues. Um, there's so many intricacies in who they are. And I work in school buildings. So in the dynamic of a school building, no two school buildings are alike. So I find myself um, having to be very particular about the relationship I'm building with them, making sure I'm giving them what they need versus a scripted program. That's really critical, I think, especially in leadership, because you can't apply the same framework to every single person. Like you can have your philosophy and all of that, but really you're working with people. And I've told a client this, that when you're working with a team, they come with so much baggage. They come with the experiences that they've had with previous bosses, with Talk about coworkers. it. Talk about they it. Have, like the experiences have how they were raised and Talk what about that, it. like relationships look like. And that all weighs on how they show up. So as a leadership or a leader, it's your responsibility to really get to know them and like how they respond to different situations, what motivates them, what hinders them because maybe if they've been stunted in the past and like they were excited and curious about something but maybe along their journey then somebody said no that's a bad idea and like mm. shot them down and then they just closed up like then it's your responsibility to draw things out of them yeah I understand that I am I'm a leadership coach that is not for everyone so at the onset, I am not for everyone. I learned that like years in the beginning of this business of how to vet, spend some time, like walk the school building, get a feel because perhaps I'm not the solution. I have a, I have a style, um, I have a level and it's not for everyone. So I'm very particular as to making sure that I find like the right fit, like not about just having a lot of clients, but the quality of the relationship and what the results can be. I bet all of that out in the beginning. And that's even tricky. It is because like any interview process, whether it's personal or whether it's professional, people present their best selves in the beginning. And you really don't know who someone is until you get to conflict per se. Correct. And our measurement of success is based on development. Right. So <laughs> I tell people all the time, like I'm as successful as you are. So it's necessary that 
we get to those moments. We get across that wall. Like I can foresee it uh, and you're open. You have to be open to the journey of having a thought partner, having another perspective to things, understanding that yes, you have an answer, but there's also another one we can consider. Right. And I think a that's lot of people it. don't have that. <laughs> a lot of people don't have that. And they're looking for yeses and they're looking more so for coaches or they're looking for assistance with just assuring themselves of what they're doing, even though the years have gone by and you haven't seen the results. They're still looking for a thought partner who's going to assure them like, yes, let's do another year. No, let's not do another year. For the last five years, we have done this, 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 this. You have done this, 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 this. These are the results. That's it. <laughs> like, these are the results. It's time to consider something else. Um, and when they're there, that's when I know that there's some fruit. There's some fruit here. Typically, the pain has occurred where they now want the change and they're willing to do what it takes. For some. Agree. For some. Because some of them sign up for it and they're all geeked about the journey because let's be honest, coaching and development is somewhat trendy, right? So everyone wants this support, but when it gets down to that phone call at 5 p.m. and you're divulging your day and I'm listening and I have to say to you, hey, look, we've had this conversation before. These are the results. And there's that awkward silence. And you cross your fingers that your timing, tone, and delivery is great, right? <laughs> you cross your fingers that those things are spot on and the moment's right for that person to receive it and have that immediate change because the goal is on the line. Right. And I think to your point about the way that you deliver it and them being receptive to it. A lot of that also Woo! has to do with- Time, tone, delivery. I learned that years trust. ago. Like also trusting that the other person has your best interest at heart. And that trust comes through time and yeah. through the relationship component and building rapport. So that way, when you are serious and you have to give something with more strength <laughs> to your tone, um, they're able to receive it well. What do you do to build up to that? Like instilling that trust and building that relationship. What's that look like for you? Listening, active listening. I don't insert myself. I literally actively listen to all of my clients whenever they want to talk. And sometimes I don't listen to give them advice. I Sometimes I listen for the idea that leaders need space to talk, unfiltered, unjudged, you know, just a space to let everything out because they carry a lot. And traditionally leaders are carrying this alone. That has been the tradition as a leader. If you need to talk to someone, it's a taboo. You're not ready for the role, right? That has traditionally been the mark of a leader, but we're now shifting and, um, I don't know at what point we made the shift. Definitely not during the pandemic because during the pandemic, I felt as though leaders had even more on their plate and no one talked about what does a leader do is always about how do you support your employees, workers, X, Y, and Z. But the leaders carry all of the what to do during the pandemic. And here we are after. And honestly speaking, the only reason why this is being alarmed is because so many people are experiencing burnout and people are leaving the role. People very capable of leaving, of having impact in roles are leaving and saying, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and that's why our roles are even that much important um, because there is a high turnover. But to your question, because I lost it, what did you ask? Building trust and rapport. Like, what's that look like on your journey and you said listening? So how listening became like the most important thing um, is because there for years, there was no space for a leader to discuss. Think about your boss, 
You're not gonna divulge all of the questions you have about moves or plans and processes you have in place. Uh, there's a there's a line that you have to play with your boss and there's a line right. to play with the people under you. Um, so that leaves you to, to what? Pillow talking with your partner or people who don't have partners or just ruminating in yourself, these right. ideas and carrying the burden alone. So listening definitely, people thank me a lot for listening actively, for eye contact, for being quiet. Um, for picking one thing out of the million things to work on instead of, okay, I heard a lot. Now we need to work on this, 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 this. No, let's find the macro and let's work on that. And I think that's refreshing um, and encouraging to have someone else outside of the workspace, see what you're doing, see where you want to go and provide insight because I'm not in it. So I look at it with different eyes, you're in it. So you have to look at it from eyes of experience, eyes of feelings, eyes of tactic, eyes of analyzing. I'm literally black and white. I don't have any ties to these people. I am just here as a person who understands systems and organizational leadership. And I understand how to attain a goal and I can empathize with you but also clear up what's cloudy. And I think part of that is just being able to verbal process. So that goes back to timing, tone, and delivery, right? Being able to, but that, that also goes back to knowing your client. Like if you don't know the person you're servicing, you don't understand how they communicate. You don't understand how they understand. Because you can say one statement to five different people and everyone say it back to you super differently. And you're like, that's not, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's not what I said. That's not what I right. said. Right. Uh, that's where the cue, um, give me back what you heard comes from. Right. And we're constantly saying, okay, now you give me back our conversation. That's so important. I don't know how many people are doing it, but give me back what you heard helps me to understand whether we're on the same page or you digested what I told you. Correct. Because a lot of can be lost in translation, especially Absolutely. If listening to respond, which happens frequently. Um, and then you miss out on nuance or just even in body language. Um, and I think then showing that to your point, like listening that you're really present, that you're not just hearing what they're saying, but that you're actually listening to some of the things that they're not saying as well. Yes, absolutely. What they're not saying, yes. You're you're literally analyzing all of everything, right? You said body language, body language tells um the way their eyes move, whether they're comfortable, uncomfortable, all of those things we have to learn because it's a vulnerable space. Right. If you get to that point with your client, it is a vulnerable space because it's it's not robotic. It's it's you have to be able to think on your toes and to pivot as this person is on this journey. So body language, all of those cues are important as you're having these sessions with leaders. I think that really speaks to the importance of face-to-face. -face. Yes. Like, and even if you're a manager leading a team or if you're working with clients, like, it seems at times that there's a tendency for people to navigate to having lots of conversations written, whether that's through email, whether that's through DM, whatever the case may be, and that's great, but there's so much that's missed and misinterpreted. I recently heard, heard a term about digital empathy and how we can be more intentional in our online communication but still, I think with the work that we do, like that face-to-face, -face, like it's almost a requirement for the work that I do. I agree. Every single time. Reading something doesn't get to, it doesn't give us the insight we need. And we all know people who send emails like kind regards and nothing's kind about it, right? 
I just have called for being very direct. It's an email game at this point. Like, how do you say mind your business? And we write this like, ask her yesterday, right? So there's just so much hidden in writing, um, so many formalities, so much, there can be a lot of passive aggressiveness in writing. So the work definitely isn't in reading something. It is definitely in the experience. It's in visiting the site. It's in telling people, please don't act weird. Please don't act weird. Like, I know I'm here. I know it's odd that I'm here, but please don't act weird. Like, pretend this is a normal Tuesday. Um, Because like I say, I can't fix a problem I don't know. Right. And it's the engagement and the interactions that are telling. That's it. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I know why. Problems and addressing problems are such a big thing in the workplace because there's so many right? There's so many hidden rules. There are so many exceptions. There's there's so much to navigate. Um, and we can talk about healthy work environments or toxic work environments. Either or, there is a culture that you as an employee or you as a leader are either trying to change or trying to sustain. And it's very intricate, like a web. Everybody plays a role in it. It's dynamic. Everybody plays a role. And it's so delicate that the moment something happens, you have to be concerned as to far which department is this trickling in? Like, where is this coming from? What is a leader's role in culture and cultivating a healthy team environment? Exactly what you, I, I think a leader's role is in identifying the culture, deciding what kind of culture is best fit for the goal of the organization and then putting things in place to make sure that that culture either becomes apparent or sustains. Both are important because people have created cultures and then it doesn't sustain. Or people have create have walked into cultures and allowed it to remain the same, knowing that it is not healthy or it doesn't produce the results. So how people separate culture and productivity, I'm thinking high turnover and they don't care. Um, because I think culture is so important. Um, if you are trying to establish longevity, growing people, because I believe in people professionally being developed, not remaining stagnant, right? Keeping them abreast to the technologies and the latest of the field. And if you are committed to that, that gets investment from people. And now you have people who are more experienced versus every year having this influx of new staff that you have to train and learn. But I think a leader's job is culture is important as a leader. What do you think? Oh, hundred percent because it impacts morale retention, the ability to attract new talent, uh, well-being, like culture drives the business, drives the team. And so it's the leader's responsibility to cultivate it, but cultivating it looks like who do you have in place? What are your daily practices? Like what are your relationship of team members? Like there's a lots of factors that impact culture, but I think to your point, like if you have a high attrition need or turnover uh, where people are leaving, whether of their own willingness or whether you're doing it, um, those tend to be more performance driven than they are really caring about the person. And so it's a combination of both. Like you can't have one without the other. And if you have too soft of a culture where it's just really like about having a good time and not getting Ooh, things done and that defeats the purpose no, of, Now like, you are touching topics, too soft of a culture. It's very sensitive. I mean, the whole purpose of having an organization in the for-profit world is to make money. That's how you get your paycheck. Right. And if you're not adding value to the team, if you're not adding value to the business, what are you doing here? Right. And everybody has value to add. It's just, where are you best suited? Where are your skills a good fit? What do you not recognize about yourself that we can draw out of you? That's also an opportunity. So it really takes leaders that are invested in the team. And again, 
getting to know people. Um, I think it goes something that ties into cultivating the culture and goes back to your early conversation with even finding clients and first impressions. Yep. You will not have a high batting average with interviews. You will hire people that disappoint you. The guarantee yeah. people disappoint them. Correct. Um, but it's really up to you on how you respond to that initial disappointment. Like, do you take it as a challenge to say, okay, what can we do to nurture their talent? How can we develop this relationship? Or do you just give up and say, hey, like I don't have the bandwidth or the resources. And so we're going to call it a day. Yeah. And to your point, and to doing being able to do what you're describing takes a specific type of leader who's already reflective, right? Like, let's be honest. We could all complain about people, but as a leader, like this is your team. So as right. much as you are annoyed by so-and-so and bothered and triggered, at some point, you have to put that to the side and think about, well, what is it about this person and how do I get this person to perform or make the decision of whether you want this person a part of your organization um, without bias? Because what if you have someone who you don't, you dislike, but their performance level is high? Then what? Right. Then what? Um, I think this, I've been focusing a lot on leaders understanding who they are and what they stand for, especially um, with leaders who are just starting out in the industry of education. Walking in, knowing who you are, walking in, knowing what you stand for. Because without that, as things are coming to you left and right, if you don't have a solid foundation on why you're there, it's easy for you to make decisions based on the urgency of the moment. But people will challenge you. And to your point, like if you don't know who you are, then that can quickly be swayed to the need of the moment. Correct. And, and the need of the loudest group of people in your organization, right? Because we know right. we have the, the loud people and we have the people who just work and go home. And we have all these different types of subsets of people who are actively vocal in the organization. Um, and the people who are loud and disgruntled might have sound reason for being yeah. loud and disgruntled, yeah. but then also don't have sound reason for being loud and disgruntled. And if you don't have a strong sense of who you are and why you're there, you can't decipher whether people are just being loud or people are being loud within reason. Right. Because going back to what you mentioned, um, we want to make sure we have a nice culture. So I want to like emphasize like that requires you being confident in yourself and not needing other people to like you because you're going to make hard conversations or have hard conversations, but you're also going to be required to make hard decisions that not everybody will agree with, but you also have to be clear about your mission and like what you're trying to achieve. And then if that feedback from the loudest group, like how does that play into it? Like you said, is it valid? And like, what can we do with it? because I'm a big believer that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, <laughs> like there's a reason people are complaining and a, they're a good fair that it's because they care. Yeah. And that's why they're saying something. And you want those people because the worst thing is to have an apathetic culture where they don't care and they just show up and do their job and check out. Right. That's true. So You don't want to dismiss those, but like you said, take it within reason. Like, does it align with where we're trying to go? Right, because you have people who are loud simply because you're you are the new leader and they don't want the changes. Right. They want to go back to the status quo. Correct. And you have to be able to decipher that as well as forge a relationship with that. Um, but yeah, being a leader, as much as people claim that they don't like leaders who are authoritative, I find that the results are there for leaders who are have a strong sense of self, um, who operate that fine line between friendly and and uh, authoritative. It's a fine line, right? Yes. And they walk it. Um, 
I find that people receive that more than the leaders who bend at every curve. Like a, no, a little no here and there for somehow, somehow a no here and there gives people some sense of, okay, there's, there's a direction here. Right. There's a boundary here. And it leans to them respecting people. No one wants a doormat. They don't want to end a partner. They don't want to end a boss. They don't want to end a friend. The people that do like doormats, those are manipulators. There was a period in leadership where they were gearing towards that, you know, moving towards what your employees need and, you know, to an extent, right? We're talking right. about people who are low performing. We're talking about dire situations of organizations that need steering. We're not talking about healthy. Those are flat organizations. I'm just going to go ahead and hit that trigger point. There we go. There we go. That's what we're talking about. Because I need a, I need a disclaimer. Because I, I, we're talking about organizations only in situations where like are good in theory need support. So we're not talking about, you know, well, well-run engines. We're talking about places that need development that have been stagnant, right? Um, and those places, for some reason, want to be coddled, and the people there, you know, want to be, want to feel good. Even when things aren't good. That's fine, but you won't go anywhere. Right. Right. Everyone's pulling in different directions instead of building on top of each other and building towards something. Right. Right. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge, it's a huge problem. Do we want to go into that? We're here. What do you mean? We are here. We're here, we're here, we're here. It's a huge problem. And that's why I vet my, I vet the people that I work with. Because if you don't have that backbone, if you don't have that strong sense of self or you're not open to being on the road to that, then right. I know that the things I'm going to say to you or the work that we're gonna do together is going to be a push and pull. And that's not helpful to anyone. Because we're talking about hard stops on things. Like effective Monday, a hard stop on this process. Let's implement this one, right? And the first two weeks, it's going to be wild. Absolutely. Because that's what happens when you start a process. But we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. And you're going to call me week four and say, guess what happened? And I'm going to say, wow, that's great. And we're going to keep on because we're about sustainability, but if you're not ready to jump on that journey in that first two weeks, sometimes a year to break that bad habit, we can't do this work. You're going to quit. Let's go into that because that touches on a lot of work that you do. And I think, so let's say like leaders have such a big impact and sometimes they are the like they're the ones that are holding everything up. Yes. And it takes them to have self-awareness to recognize their role in the situation and what they're contributing to it. Like someone else could be at fault, but how are they also enabling that situation? Yes. Like I'm a big believer that in any situation or conflict that two people are, are contributing to it. It's not one person by themselves. It is a dance. So self-awareness, like how do people develop it? And what are things that you found along the way, whether it's with yourself or just through your experience that have contributed to that? Um, I can start by saying that it's a journey that doesn't end. So it's not a finite point. Um, it is an actionable step that happens frequently. Um, it starts with understanding why you're in the place that you're in, why you're in the leadership role, why you're there. Um, and for me, I was, for me, someone saw the leadership in me before I saw it. Okay. So I was a doer because I'm a doer. Let's get it done. Okay. I am a doer. I'm, let's do it. 
I'm always excited about a plan and I want to color code the spreadsheet. I'm a doer. Um, someone saw the leader in me. So that time period where I was a leader, that was very shaky because I was moving based on my skill set versus who I am as a person. So every time something happened, I just knew how to solve problems. I know how to get things done. Um, why I was there to get it done. It didn't have anything past getting things done. But what I found was that my skills and my talents led me to be in places like be at work till midnight, back at 5 a.m., right? All of these ridiculous behaviors, um, solving everyone's problems and mine some other time. It wasn't until I was burnt out, but I still had the skills and the talent and I still have people saying, oh, you should lead this, you should run that. But it wasn't until I was burnt out and I took the time to discover who I was, why I was a leader and what I wanted to do with that skill that I was able to pick the opportunities that I wanted instead of opportunities coming to me and me thinking, hey, this is a great leadership move. You should do it. You gotta do it. It came to you. You have to do it. You're this, you're that. <laughs> but if there's no sense of investment personally, mm -hmm. boy, I tell you that leadership seat, it comes at you quick. It comes at you fast. Things are happening. It's quiet at 12 o'clock. It's a fire at 12.02. And you need to be ready, okay? <laughs> you need to be ready. And then you've got to go home and do it all over again. So um, I would say, first things first is always knowing your why. Why are you there? And keeping that at the forefront. Um, if in the beginning, you have to constantly reread it and write it down and have it places that you know you can have a moment to. Um, it's important to always understand your why uh, because you won't always feel like it, right? I think there's this assumption that leaders always feel like leading. We do not. We do not. It's We put it on, but every day doesn't feel as powerful or as strong as Monday or Tuesday. It's ups and flows, but we know that at the end of the day, we are leaders. Right. We're going to present as, but your why is there for the days where you don't feel that. Um, then I would also keep track of moments that make you uncomfortable, right? And that's immediate. The moment where, yes, you have your leadership face on, but as the conversation's over, you feel different. Journal that. Get to the bottom of that. See if you can find trends. As to what are the moments where I'm feeling uncomfortable and why that is. So, because those moments are going to come back. And what you want to do is be able to handle those moments in a manner where you're successful. You get your desired results. So don't shy away from the moments where you're uncomfortable or avoid the situations. Start to write them down. Start to pinpoint what it is about the setting, what's about the room, what is it about you. And then as you're digging deep into those situations, change some of the dynamics. Right. I know when I talk to this person, I tend to feel this way. So here's what I'm going to do. Instead of talking to them in my office, perhaps I talk to them in the hallway. Those small switch, those small changes can make a difference in our interactions with people. Also, I would mention. Hmm. Um, Alongside of knowing your why, journaling your uncomfortable moments, celebrating your wins, celebrating your wins, the process and the journey of a leader is long. Sometimes people pass the baton without even seeing the goal of the organization. Right. So it's important that we journey being a leader, but you also highlight the wins and maybe not the ones that are public, all right? It's not your organization win, but the wins, the small wins, like a successful conversation with someone who's problematic, right? Getting someone pro that was against you. Um, 
the moments where a plan you have in action is actually happening without you walking the school building and making sure that it's happening, right? When your accountability measures have to drop because people are now just falling in line. When you're having a professional development session and you're talking and there's there's more questions for the move versus questions against the move. Those are all wins. Yeah. That you need to celebrate and you need to highlight because that's going to be your momentum and your marks of, okay, we are moving versus waiting for the end goal. What do you think? What are your thoughts around how to be reflective as a leader or even defining yourself and how important is that? So back to the reflection part of it, it really requires you, like you said, acknowledging the recurring situations where you're not getting what you want. Yeah. And so like, what's my role in that? Like, is it my communication style? Is it my presentation, like my body language, how I'm choosing to respond to somebody? Is it my unclear expectations? Like mentally, I have expectations that haven't been clearly communicated and that's creating friction. Um, we talked about this earlier, but I think, again, a lot of people have previous experiences, whether it's prior workplaces, whether it's their home, whether it's the way that they were raised that influence how they show up as a leader. And so you have to also relearn things. Like I'll say for me specifically, some of the ways that I was raised in regards to like discipline and authority and all of that may have been effective at the time when I was a child, but they're not effective in the workplace. Right. And so like, I can't, I tried it. Um, Shout out to you for understanding that. Shout out to you for understanding that. Because pulling yourself out of that situation and figuring out like, okay, like, and I would say like the biggest thing that contributes to self-awareness is you have to have a depth of caring for other people and the relationship to make it work for you then to look at yourself. Because if you're only worried about yourself, that self-awareness is really not going to be there because you don't care enough. Right. So the so why you have to why care about the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think this ties into your point about like celebrating the small wins. Like even if you don't see like the big milestones for the organization or for the small business, whatever the case may be, like, in a leadership role, you are a pebble or you are the wind. Like you, what you do creates a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And I tell people a lot of times, like you're planting seeds and it's your job to water them, to weed them. You may not see them blossom. They may blossom somewhere else, but you're the one who planted the seed. And so like, that's what you're investing in. That's where your hope is. That's where your reward is. And a lot of times, like, I've had former team members come back later after the fact and tell me about promotions they've gotten either within the organization or at another organization. Like that's what it's about. Like it's, you want to do both. Obviously you want to meet the objectives for the business and those goals. But if you don't like your, I think this goes to your why, like your why has to be greater than achievement has to be greater than performance because otherwise like you're always going to be chasing something. And once you get there, you won't feel that satisfaction. And that's because the satisfaction is fleeting. Yeah. And so it has to be bigger. Yeah. And that's yeah. where people come in. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause then you're constantly, you become this leader who's chasing the winds and you don't see anything else, but we've got to meet this. We've got to meet that. We people gotta... become then like, if you're chasing the winds over the people, then people become distractions and targets. When and you so need the people, but you and, need the people. Right, right. But people then like, when your focus is not where it should be, then you're treating people poorly. That's what ends up like, that's how you get into sabotage, backstabbing, gossip, toxic culture, like 
just a whole realm of things. That's a but I want to go back to like self-awareness um, because, and burnout, because that's something that people are really struggling with Yeah, because there's also not a space for people to share information. Um, and I, two sides to that. So one leaders need to have confidence, people that they can trust, that they can verbal process with, that will listen with them, that will not be their yes person because they're already surrounded by people because of the power dynamic that will tell them yes. Correct. So they need a fresh set of eyes, like you said. But social media is not that place. <laughs> so I know that you have been in a reflective period for a while. And I'm curious, like, of that reflective work that you're doing, how does that contribute to your self-awareness, your personal growth, all of that as a leader? Um, So like I mentioned earlier, I'm always in some form of reflection shift um, because I'm in search of achieving a goal. And when, like you said earlier, when it doesn't work out, when I'm having these interactions and they don't work out, why is that? Um, So me being reflective and me constantly, well, consistently checking in on who I am as a leader helps me to be a better leader for other people because it's a part of the journey. Like it's a must. Um, I'm in this space right now where I find it very important that leaders, um, though we're built to serve and built to make waves and impact, we have done it without thinking about ourselves. So I've coined this whole me first thing. And the theory behind me first is, yes, people are takers. And I get that takers need things. And this is not to blame takers, but it's also to give givers the opportunity for pursuing their happiness. Um, Because I feel like as leaders, we we tend to choose one over the other. If you're a great leader, you find yourself serving. Right. I, you sound, I years ago, I don't think you remember, but I, I came up with um, taking your lunch break. Remember the lunch break stuff? The lunch break stuff was because seriously, as a leader, I never ate. I never ate. We're, We're talking about 10 hours a day and eating was the last thing. I was like, eating? I can't eat. Can't eat. I have this. I have that. I had phones in hands and laptops and like eating was, to be honest, back then, and I'm aging myself by saying back then, but at the time of my leadership, to stop a meeting and eat was a side eye. Like, you wanna, it was taboo to say that. No one said that. We all ate through, we all worked through lunch. And that was your measurement of how committed and how strong you were as a leader. Yeah. So when I started Take Your Lunch Break, that was really homage to my behavior. Um, because I was hungry at the end of the day, right? And I was eating everything and then going to sleep and doing it again. And I wasn't taking care of myself in the name of this is the badge we wear as leaders. You know, you take lunch, must be nice. That was the vibe. That was the vibe. Um, So I'm happy now that people are taking lunch because as small as it seemed, it was really an act of self-care as a leader. It's an act, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to walk away with the confidence that if I step away, this won't fall apart and, yeah. I, can, and I can take care of myself. So can I interject? Go for it. So two things on that. One, leadership requires you to step away. I think you said it perfectly when it's not a badge of honor because this is the thing is like, if you skip through lunch, Think about how that impacts you for the rest of the day. No one operates at their best when they're hangry. Nobody. So conflict is quicker to occur when you're hungry. Your misinterpretation of other people, your body, just you won't be thinking at peak. So you're already putting yourself at a disservice 
for leadership and helping other people because you haven't taken care of yourself. And the work will always be there. The work will never stop. So if you're not taking care of yourself in order to take care of other people, then in the long run, you're doing a disservice. Like it's a myth. And this is why I said you need to know there's a difference between being placed in a position where someone's appointing you versus where you want you want to do it, right? And you have your why because being placed somewhere and you're you have the skill or you have the demeanor of getting things done. I don't. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear. I heard get it done. You're hired because you get things done. Um, versus I want to do this job because I want to close the gap, the opportunity gaps for brown and black babies in education. So everything I do is going to be around that. And I understand that that is a long course and I need to take care of myself in the midst of that. But when you're hired or when someone sees you without knowing why you're there, you can easily turn into someone who has no boundaries as a leader, but you get things done. And somehow you get results. And because you're getting these results, now your, your idea is if I change courses, I won't get these successful results. So I yeah, have I think, to be on the line. I agree. I think the other point that I wanted to add too is you mentioned people afraid to step away. If you are afraid to step away for lunch, a vacation, a sabbatical, then I would question your effectiveness as a leader. Yeah, because that's a big one. If you are doing your job well as a leader, you should be training your people to do their jobs well. Shared leadership. When they don't need you. And you should also be able to trust them that they're competent enough to excel in their role while you're gone. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times giving people the benefit of the doubt, let's say that they have done that, they have trained people and they do trust them. There's still that fear within themselves that they can then be replaced right. because part of that comes with the desire to feel needed. And if you put yourself in a position where you can be replaced, then that feeds into a lot of fear. And so people never do that. And so they stunt their own growth and the growth of others, but it's a scarcity thing as well. Right. right. Sorry, I just I, wanted to circle back to what you mentioned. But again, in the past, that was seen as an armor, that the leader was Still the first happens. one in the building and the last one out. So, I mean, I've studied organizational leadership. I've studied human development. I've studied child development. I've studied the human mind. All right. And I have background in curriculum and instruction. And what I find most is that, A, that leads me. All of that leads me. Like, it's all about behaviors and it's all about patterns. And you mentioned social media and you mentioned leadership. And the leadership field has not grown as much as other fields. There's still this, there's still, <laughs> It's being shaken up now, but there's still this very much robotic expectation of a leader um, that brings up all of these behaviors where you're second and your results and how much you give. The more you give, the more you get. And that's not the case because I've seen people give so much and still not get, which leads to burnout. But then I would question, like, what are their boundaries look like if they're giving and not getting? Well, you have to have your eyes open to realize you're not getting. Right. Some people think that because I've worked eight hours, that's the success. Instead of measuring what happened after the eight hours. It's true. Tons of people hit these walls and they're burnt out. Um, and it's because they've exhausted themselves. And they said, but I've worked so hard. I've worked so hard on this. I spent hours on this. It's inefficient. Yeah. It's inefficient. And I'm sorry that your uh, coworker spent two hours on it and it was efficient. There's, that's where that comes into play. 
but the difference between spinning wheels and moving forward like you're being busy in both of them correct (laughs) and then one day you wake up and you say i can't do this anymore because burnout never gives you for some reason burnout never comes with a disclaimer is literally you wake up or it's this moment where you're like i'm done all of my clients who've experienced burnout even myself i didn't see it coming it was like one day i was like i cannot do this it creeps. It's a creep. It creeps up on you and then it just appears and it's strong. It's nothing you can hide. You feel it at its highest point. Like it feels exactly what the term says, burnt out. So there's a lot of layers to, um, there's a lot of layers to where leadership is and how we're moving forward. And it's slowly moving forward. Um, And I I think the reason why it's slowly moving forward is there has been success with leaders who put others first. But if we follow their stories to their older years and how they retire, you're not gonna, you might not like that. Right. Right. You hear the success stories of the leaders, but keep keep reading, keep reading throughout the years, like check their lifespan, check the integrity of their lives, check how happy they are in their personal lives. Like check out fully check out the rest of the story. And see if that's what you want. What have they sacrificed along the way? Their health, the relationships, their family. There we go. There we go. All that glitters isn't gold. There we go. Like, don't just read the high point of their success. Keep reading. Check in on the later years. That goes back to your point of knowing, like, what's important to you as a leader. Like, what are your values? Who are you? Like, what's your leadership philosophy? Mm-hmm. 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 And being strong in that. Yeah. Because there's some place, there's some incidents, as a person who's reflecting, where you realize, I've done everything I can in this position for this organization and I need to move on. Right. You need to know when that is. And you don't know- organization alignment. You don't know what that is unless you're constantly in tune with what you're doing as a leader, why you're there. You won't hear the sound. I say this all the time. I rather my leader, I rather the leaders that I work with, like same as myself, I always left at a high point. Every career I had, I left high. I left high. I left sky high. And people are looking at me like, what? You're not going to do so-and-so anymore? And I'm like, no, someone's going to take this over. You guys got this. Yeah, I've got I'm not getting good. Someone, someone has to do the rest of this journey because guess what? I relieved myself from this idea that I am the, I am. That's not how I lead. I lead by example. I lead by development. I'm not the, I, I don't have the answers. I want to make sure that everybody comes into work willing to figure this out. That is what I want to make sure. Are you willing to figure it out? When people stop being willing to figure it out, when people stop being curious is when I get concerned. Because the problem word, the issues, that's that's a regular Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We can't avoid that. But I need people who are willing, who are curious, who come with a problem and some ideas like X, Y, and Z happened, but here's what I'm thinking. And I have to sit there and just, hmm, how does this fit in the macro go off do your thing because i believe in shared leadership absolutely believe in let's share this boat now because if not then you don't have people who grow right and i as a leader i need people to grow i need people to grow the problems become more complex and if we're not growing, yet the world is growing, yet the pe- the complexity of the organization is growing, but we're not growing. My thing in education is, and I'm always bummed that we don't move 10 years ahead, even though the kids are that we're servicing will be 10 years, right? However, education isn't 10 years ahead of 
where it's supposed to be, which bothers me a lot. Um, so if it's not a space where there's growth and innovation and technology and let's try, what are we doing? What are we doing? How are we preparing? How are we preparing children? How are we preparing people? Because the, these adults have to still show up in the world as well. Right. How are we preparing them for 2034? So, um, what were we talking about? Because now I'm way off. I know I'm way off. You're good. <laughs> no, I'm no, way I off. I love your passion about academics and schools and the future for children because that's a whole conversation. Uh, and I think that would be a great opportunity for Possibly if you were interested to come back, we could have that conversation, but I've taken so much of your time today and I've enjoyed what we've discussed about leadership and self-awareness and rapport and trust and all of that. I have one final question for you, Natasha. Go for it. And you did a great job leading up to it. So I want to ask, what does lead with excellence look like for you in daily practice? Mm, so I feel like you can almost you can already get the vibe of what I'm going to say. So I think I believe that leading with excellence um, is an actionable step, right? Based on your potential, based on what you bring to the table. And then it's measured by your effort and the success of what you do. Um, and it varies because your excellence in the beginning, based on you reflecting and perfecting your craft can change when you give something another try. But as long as we understand that excellence is not again, a point, but also like a road where you're getting better and you're mastering something. Practice. And it's measured and it's also about who you are because my excellence and your excellence are different. Correct. It all stems from, uh, to be honest, as a leader, everything, a lot of it is self-awareness. A lot of it is self-awareness. Um, because excellence comes in my ability to see myself as a leader 10 years ago to a leader now. If you'd have told me what the excellence was 10 years ago, I would have told you to get things done. And now my level of excellence now is to be able to be myself, to take care of myself and lead and have impact instead of choosing and sacrificing the things that I want in life um, in the name of leadership. So it varies and you only get to the, you only get to your, your different levels of excellence by achieving and reflecting, achieving and reflecting, achieving and reflecting, and then always having that desire for something else. If you don't have a desire for something else, then this doesn't make any sense to you. So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to a specific group of people who, have checkpoints to these things that they want in life, to the way they want the world to appear, to the impact that they want to have in the world. And they keep checking in and they're not going to stop because, hey, I've experienced this and I, this has to stop. Um, when you have that, you can measure excellence on a scale of how much work have I done? Have I been successful? Can I get better at it? And I want to emphasize what you said on the reflection component, because I think that's critical because in today's society with the speed at which we operate, we don't have margin built in to reflect, whether no. that's a daily practice or whether that's a monthly practice, whatever the cadence no. may be, like we no. don't actively build in that margin because we pursue being busy and productive than we do in reflection. And no. reflection is part and necessary for growth. So and then how you brought that up. Once you find the time to reflect, you sit down and you're so exhausted that you don't even know how to start. Right? I've had to teach people how to brain dump. Like, what's that? Because I can tell when we get on the line, it's just a lot, right? I can feel like there's a lot. So I'm like, stop, brain dump, turn on some music. 
I, it doesn't have to be you nothing. It doesn't have to be fragments, full sentences. I don't care. Just everything that's in your head, dump it on the paper. You have two minutes. I'm not saying a word. I'm playing this song. Dump it all on the paper. And then they're like, and that's like your most primary way of reflecting. I don't take the art of reflecting for granted. I understand that it's a skill just like anything else. And without the proper guidance through it, which is why people hire us, it might feel it might feel ineffective. Like, okay, yeah, I reflect. And do you reflect? Do you? But what'd you do with that? Right, like how? Yeah. <laughs> Did it just stay on that piece of paper? Correct. 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 It's an art. It's an art. I can't tell you that being a leader and reflecting came overnight. No, it came from years of crying and like I'm tired of being frustrated. How do I avoid this? I can see things coming. I'm at, now at the point where I can see it coming. I can see things brewing. I can foresee how I'm going to behave um, because I've learned the art of reflecting and I've used the benefits of reflecting as a leader. That's great. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Natasha. Thank you for having it's me. always a joy. And... <laughs> I look forward to talking with you again soon. And yeah. thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Bye, Mel. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lead with Excellence. For additional resources, visit theceoffice.co. That is T-H-E-C-E-O-F-F-I-C-E dot C-O. Enjoy the podcast, share it with a friend, and I'll leave a review sharing what you enjoyed most and why someone else should listen to it. Let's go lead with excellence.